We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Wednesday, April 8th, day 635 or so it feels like of this national quarantine we have going on. But we are here again to bring you draft analysis as we are officially just over two weeks away from a virtual fantasy football type draft. Uh, I just want to be a fly on the wall to see if there's a chat bar uh, for people to talk smack in the boardrooms for everybody. So I think that would be interesting to watch. I'm your host this evening. I am Jacob Westendorf, and I am joined uh, with, again, our new team here. I am joined by Owen Reese. Owen, how are we doing? Good, man. Just trying to make it through, man. This is uh, it's tough. It's, I need a gym, and I'm about to lose my mind. Yeah, I can understand the feelings there. I, I can't remember the last time I saw the sunlight and it hit my face. That's at least how I feel right now. And, of course, special guest this week, we have Russell Brown. Russ... Uh, are you hanging in any better than we are? Man, it's been pretty brutal, I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's uh, no sports, no Christian Yelich hitting bombs right now for uh, you Brewers fans. Um, you know, no rebuild for the Tigers currently, which is a blessing in disguise. But, yeah, it sucks right now, man. It's uh, it, Fortunately, we got draft talk, so, you know, I'm excited to talk with you guys. Yeah, we got two weeks uh, from tomorrow uh, From is the draft, and it'll start on April 23rd, the first round. By now, if you don't know, then I'm assuming you live under a rock, but the Packers pick 30th in this year's draft on the first round, and then they have subsequent picks 
after that, obviously, well, last week we talked about wide receivers. This week we talk about, as Owen would like to put it, the best athletes on the field. We have the interior offensive linemen. Uh, Owen, just give me a brief uh, soliloquy here, I guess, about just how great it is to be an interior lineman. So you ever do stuff that's really important and uh, when you do stuff right, it never gets acknowledged, but when you screw up, it's your fault and your fault only. That's yeah. That's basically it. So that is the life of an offensive lineman. Good job, everybody. And there's actually quite a bit of truth to that. So uh, the Packers on the interior offensive line, they're projected starters for 2020. They have Elton Jenkins at left guard. He was a second round pick last year. Uh, very good in his rookie season. Corey Lindsley has become one of the better centers in football. He was a fifth-round pick by the Packers in 2014. And then free agent signing Billy Turner, uh, probably the weak link of what was a pretty strong Packers offensive line this past season, but an average player is probably the ceiling for him, which considering the previous guards were Justin McCray and Byron Bell, I think the Packers are going to be pretty happy with average. Now, Behind them, they have uh, Lane Taylor is still on the roster, and Lane Taylor is a good offensive lineman, and I think that there was a lot of assumptions that he wasn't going to be on the team and this thought that anybody can do what Lane Taylor can do for pennies. And I think that the people that say that don't realize how bad some of the offensive lines in the NFL and offensive linemen specifically are in the NFL. Uh, They also have utility extraordinaire Lucas Patrick, who has, for my money's worth, the best mustache on the team. And he's kind of stepped in at both guard spots and uh, center. He may be the center of the future. That'll be something to keep an eye on. And then Cole Madison uh, was on the team last year before he ended up on injured reserve. Assuming that I'm not missing anybody. Oh, and just real quick, what's your state of the Packers on the interior right now as we look into the 2020 season? Uh, I think Elton Jenkins obviously gives a lot of optimism for the future. Uh, as a second-round pick, I know a lot of Packer fans were upset because it wasn't a wide receiver or someone that will score touchdowns um, or someone that they've heard of for that matter. But El- uh, Jenkins came in. He did really well when uh, Lane Taylor got hurt. He stepped in, didn't miss a beat. Uh, it had a really good career at Alabama, or excuse me, at Mississippi State uh, as a center. Uh, had one of the better performances against Quinn and Williams. Uh, so it kind of sold me on him last year and then performed well down at the Senior Bowl. Um, I mean, he's a, he's a bright spot for the future. Corey Lindsley, one of the better centers in the league, uh, especially for this offense. He does a great job in the zone scheme. Right guard, Billy Turner's okay. Uh, I think that he's prob- probably best suited as a sixth offensive lineman, given his uh, versatile, for lack of a better word, skill set. Um, but, I, yeah, I think they can definitely continue to, to add some depth to it. And depending on the Corey Lindsley contract situation as we move forward uh jenkins could be an option to move over to center in which case you need another guard so i do think they need to continue to add bodies in competition in there but they could certainly do a lot worse yeah and with the with the lindsley contract situation that's one spot and then another thing is billy turner has a contract that was essentially a two-year deal with some options after that so it's possible if he struggles or if green bay needs some cap space or they decide they want to move on they can do that so we could be looking at Spots here, not only for 2020 as depth players, but future starters in 2021 as well. And I know people are talking about the Lucas Patrick extension, uh, but that was a two-year deal. So after this season, he'll have one year left on his deal, and it'll be remain to be seen what kind of contract he can command. Russ, just looking at this team up front and specifically in the middle, is there 
Where do you think they rank among just, I mean, kind of generally across the NFL? Because typically I think, at least in my estimation, the fan base has been pretty spoiled considering that for years it was Josh Sitton and TJ Lang with Corey Lindsley in the middle for most of that time frame, And before that it was Mike Wall and Marco Rivera. There really hasn't been a long sustained process of the Packers experiencing bad offensive line play, especially on the interior, like Justin McCray in 2019 or 18 and Byron Bell, which was the, the gruesome twosome that played right guard and neither one of them played it very well. But what are your thoughts on this group and how they stack up amongst the rest of the league? Yeah, I mean, I think you have one of the better left tackles in the league for sure. I mean, I, I have him as, you know, a top five left tackle for sure. Um, obviously one of the better centers in the league and then a, a great rookie uh, left guard in, in Jenkins. And, and like Owen said, you know, there's a chance he could slide inside to center if, if Lindsley ends up, um, you know, leaving or being let go down the line. But, um, you know, I, I think from the from the left side working your way in, it's certainly – a top five group but when you get to the right side i think there's certainly some question marks and it probably pushes them down you know probably closer to maybe one of the you know 10 or 12 uh, better units of the league so i mean it's still good company no doubt about it but you know there's got to be some concerns i know rick wagner the, the signing it's you know like we talked about pre-show essentially a one-year deal with uh, you know I think you said a team or a player option for that second year. So, I mean, I have some question marks in regards to Wagner just watching him play uh, in Detroit the last couple of years, more so because his contract was way worse in Detroit than it is in Green Bay. Um, I mean, he's not a great blocker by any means. He can do some things um, and get some of the jobs done. But overall, I mean, I think health has been kind of a concern the last year or so. Um, So I, I think... Really looking um, just in the big picture as we talk interior offensive line, I, I'm in agreement. I think left guard, right guard are certainly two areas of need for them in this draft. I, I doubt they address both positions in this draft, but, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they looked at at least a left guard or a right guard in this draft for sure. Yeah, I, if there's anything that I do know about Ricky Wagner, it's that I know at least for a while he's going to get some extra credit from the fan base because he's a former Badger. So that's just the reality of the world that we live in right now. So, guys, we're going to talk. This week is a little different than last week because we have an entire position group instead of a couple specific players. So last week was pretty easy. We talk about Denzel Mims, then we talk about Justin Jefferson, and then we move on and it's all happy hunky-dory. There's a lot of interior offensive linemen, and in addition – that doesn't even include tackles that could kick inside to play a guard spot, which is typically where the Packers tend to look for their interior linemen. So the stat that Owen likes to throw out all the time is since 2005, since Ted Thompson became the general manager, the Packers have taken two non-blindside tackles as offensive linemen, players that have zero experience at playing blindside tackle. Those players are Caleb Schlotteroff and Corey Lindsley. That's it. Everybody else at least has some experience of playing left or right tackle, depending on what hand the quarterback throws the ball with. So what we're going to do is I'm going to kind of allow you guys to steer this show a little bit, and we'll kind of figure out how to find our footing from there. So what I'm going to do is we'll talk about it broadly from the NFL, and then we'll bring it back in to talk specifically about Green Bay. So the first question I have, and Owen, we'll start with you, is what round, if any, well, I shouldn't say if any, because an offensive lineman is going to get drafted at some point. But what round do you – God willing is right. What round are you looking for an interior lineman to be drafted? I think the first one will probably be Cesar Ruiz at the end of the first round. I think that 
Uh, there's enough O-line needy teams near the end. Obviously, we talked about this a bit pre-show, but uh, Baltimore had Marshall Yonder retire uh, during the, this offseason. That's a huge, huge loss for the Ravens. Um, probably a future first ballot Hall of Fame guard. Uh, the Miami Dolphins are a team that is still very sorely seeking interior offensive lineman help. Uh, they've got both 18 and 26. Uh, they, they signed Ted Karras from the Patriots and Eric Flowers from the Redskins. I uh, don't think either of those two guys will, will prohibit them from looking at investing long-term at interior offensive line, um, especially to theoretically protect the quarterback that they take at five. Uh, so, I mean, among them, Seattle always seems to be looking at offensive linemen to kick inside as well. Uh, DJ Fluker no longer there, and they lost Jermaine Effetti this offseason to the Bears. So I don't think that it's – I think it would be very surprising to me if zero interior offensive linemen get picked in the first round. Um, and I think Cesar Ruiz is probably that first one. I wouldn't be surprised to see a run starting in the middle of the second round or so through the third round of, of quite a few going. I think that's where the sweet spot is in this class. All right, Russ, what do you think? I mean, I know he named quite a few guys, but is it just Ruiz or are there some other guys that could potentially be picked in the first round? I'm in agreement. I think Ruiz is probably going to be that guy. You could throw in the Dallas Cowboys as well at 17. I know they have needs on defense, but losing a player like Travis Frederick, I mean, they could be a potential trade-down candidate and then take Ruiz. I mean, you don't know exactly what the quarterback situation could be. If, if the Patriots are interested in a quarterback, I mean, maybe that's a sweet spot for them to to get uh, that quarterback, or if the Eagles have been long rumored for a receiver at 21. So if that's the case, maybe you, I mean, I doubt the Eagles and Cowboys make a deal, but you never really know. Um, and I mean, even the Vikings as well, they've got plenty of ammunition in this draft. They could be considering considering a wide receiver, maybe a corner. So yeah, I, I definitely think Ruiz is certainly a guy. We know there'll be a, a certain run on offensive tackles in this draft. Um, and even Daniel Jeremiah tweeted out today, like I said before the show, Isaiah Wilson will probably go uh, in the first round just judging by what he's heard. So, I mean, you, you have plenty of teams that are looking for offensive linemen, um, not necessarily interior offensive linemen in the first round, but we should see one. Um, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I think, you know, we could certainly see, you know, maybe three or four interior offensive linemen in the first three rounds, but really that fourth and fifth round is probably going to be the sweet spot for a lot of the players that myself and Owen talk about today. So there you have that. We have a sweet spot in the middle-ish, middle day two, moving into day three, it seems to be where we're thinking there. But Cesar Ruiz seems to be the one. You guys mentioned a few. Another one that is a popular name, at least, whether he gets that far, we don't know, is the San Francisco 49ers. A lot of people seem to think they could plug him in at 31 and just be okay there. I like that Dallas fit that you guys mentioned. Uh, They've built their team essentially around that offensive line. I know Mike McCarthy likes the bookend tackles uh, and that sort of thing, but he also values that that stability up the middle. He really had a lot of good groups here uh, when he was in Green Bay, and having those guys up front uh, protecting Dak Prescott could be a big deal there too. So you guys mentioned on top of that, on top of that with the 49ers, I'm glad you mentioned them. Don't don't be surprised if they take 13 and move back or take 31 and move back just simply for the fact that they don't have any day two picks at all they don't pick again until the fifth round and i know they're a super bowl team there's plenty of talent there but they're a team that they value the draft 
just as much as any team in the NFL. So there's a chance that we could see a team like the Giants or something move up back into the first round, and maybe if they take Isaiah Simmons at four, maybe they're a team that moves up and takes an interior offensive lineman or, or offensive tackle there uh, at the back end of the first round as well. Sorry to cut you off. No, that's fine, and that's kind of the sweet spot where similar Green Bay's one pick right before them, and that's where you're kind of hoping that if – Joe Burrow and Tua and Jordan Love and Justin Herbert are gone that maybe somebody talks themselves into a a Jacob Eason or a Jake Fromm or some of those other those second tier quarterbacks and wanting that fifth year option that's also another possibility for those trade out scenarios at the bottom of the first round so you guys mentioned some of the popular guys in that first round, so we don't have to go through that. I want to know who's your favorite player at the position, period. And that doesn't necessarily have to be the best player. We all have our reasons for liking certain guys over others. But, Owen, you played the position. Is there anybody that you really just watch and like, man, I like that guy? Uh, yeah, actually, Russ and I have bonded over this player a few different times on Twitter. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, that film that you'll find probably won't be from 2019. Uh, as much as I've kind of pushed back on – this notion uh, that Tyler Biotish is, is seemingly a bad football player now. Um, yeah, I don't know when that happened, but it's kind of funny that it did. And that as a, a guy that, as a first-year starter in 2017, had the narrative that if he was able to come into the draft, he would be a first-round pick, and then carry that, that narrative again to 2018. Um, and then to, after 2019, now apparently he's like a fourth-round pick uh, projected. Uh, he's a guy that I think is, is very good. Uh, I know Jonathan Taylor lauded his intelligence at the Combine. Talked about how important Yadish was uh, to that Badger run game and helping Taylor become the most productive player in NCAA history in three years worth of rushing attempts. Uh, and and Yadish is a guy to me that if he's returned to his 2018 form, I know that it hasn't been very public, but I do know there were some injuries, some uh, surgeries in the offseason. He wasn't able to test this offseason either. Uh, has been dinged up, uh, I would imagine, probably from – playing for three years in that Wisconsin offense, um, starting every game, that he uh, has has been banged up. But if he can return to that prior form, there's no doubt in my mind he's a day one plug-and-play starter at center. I think you could probably get away with him at guard, kind of the same situation as Ruiz. I think if you had an aging center or an opening at guard and not at center, you could probably play him for a year at guard and kick him in. Uh, but to me, he's... He's nasty. He's mean in the run game. Uh, in 2018, he was excellent uh, as far as, like, at the second level remaining ba- – and at the first level as well, just remaining balanced and staying engaged with his blocks. And in 2019, um, you know, not uh, not so encouragingly uh, and seemed to lack that core strength and balance and, and fell off of a ton of blocks. Um, so I don't, I don't think he became a worse football player. I think there were probably other circumstances going on there at play. So – to me, Tyler Biotish is a guy, if some team drafts him in the third or fourth round, could end up being the steal of the draft. Uh, and I think teams are going to have to trust the, the tape they saw from when he was a year younger uh, and, and healthy because in 2018, Tyler Biotish is probably the pick to the Cowboys at 17. Uh, if he was healthy and played like that in 2019, he did not. Uh, now he's probably looking somewhere on day, day two, maybe even early day three. Uh, but a team's going to take Tyler Biotish, and if he's – Back to uh, his his prior health status, uh, I think he's a, he's a guy that's going to start for ten or twelve years in this league and give someone a really good athletic center that can play in either scheme. Completely agreed there. I mean, we've talked about it numerous times of of just 
how good he is. I mean, we stood down in a bar in, in Mobile, Alabama, talking about it, of why he's suddenly bad at football. And kind of like you said, I mean, there was times that he was just bouncing off of blocks. And I think a lot of it, you know, I think obviously dealing with the injuries, he had the sprained AC joint on his right shoulder, which got, you know, surgically repaired before the combine. Um, so, you know, that's why he didn't do anything um, or not too much there. But overall, I mean, I think part of it too was he was having like almost too much of a forward lean and like maybe part of his head being down going. But I think overall, I love the way he operates in space. I love that snap to step quickness that he has. I mean, I think just overall, he's a, a mean football player with a ton of, uh, ton of experience, 41 career starts. And just a guy like, you know, Jonathan Taylor raves about his intelligence. It shows on tape because every time he gets down in his stance, he is the most vocal offensive lineman I think I've studied probably in a while. I mean, he is constantly pointing guys out, suggesting, you know, different things of who to pick up and, and everything else. So, I mean, I, I like how you mentioned the Cowboys at 17. I wouldn't be surprised if the Cowboys took him even at 51. I mean, I, I, would, I would probably say between picks 51 and maybe picks 100 would probably be really the sweet spot for Biotish of wherever he goes. It's going to be great value there. Yeah, and I know that I've talked about this too, where you don't want to get into helmet scouting like – Last year with Brian Burns, for example, Packers fans didn't want him because Jamal Reynolds played at Florida State and he was a pass rusher and he busted. So that's something I'm trying not to get into here. But something about a, a UW lineman that you do know, he's going to be well coached, he's going to be prepared, and whether or not the re- whether or not he hits, there's a lot of different things that go into play there. But you do know that you're at least somewhat ahead of the curve on some of those things. Uh, and at minimum, he'll he's more than likely, I should say, to at least contribute in the running game. And I think that that is a positive. And you guys, I mean, you guys basically said everything else on Biotis, so I don't need to beat a dead horse there. So we went through favorite players at the positions. Who's the most undervalued player at this position? I don't know how many mock drafts you guys read or scouting reports, stuff like that, but who's somebody that you guys like? And Russ, I can start with you here. Who's somebody that you like quite a bit that you're seeing maybe mocked a little too low or people aren't given as much love that you think deserves it? I've got two guys, and, and one's probably being talked about you know, quite a bit, Damian Lewis out of LSU. I'm, maybe not quite a bit, but he's, he's still getting talked you know, quite uh, well, I guess I should say. And you know, This is a guy that you just see him. He's like, we, we constantly talk about you know, stout like run defenders. This guy's like just a stout interior offensive lineman. It, not much is going to get past him. He's just so strong, so powerful. He had 27 reps in the bench. Um, just a really solid frame, really good lower body, just overall strength. He's not going to get bull rushed. And for actually being a guy, you know, that's maybe not as uh, as quick as you'd like him to be, I, I think he actually moves pretty well in space and, and getting into his gaps and kind of having those inside zone concepts. So I really like him in, in that area and in that aspect. I think as a run blocker, he's going to be uh, really good at the next level. And I, I think if you're talking about a player that needs to, to come in, as we talked about, right guard, if, if you needed a player to come in and plug and play right away, especially for the Packers, let's say at 62, I doubt he'll be there at 94. But if, if that was the route they went at 62, I mean, this guy's got 28 career starts at the position. So I really like his experience. I like what he brings to the table. And then the other guy for me is John Simpson out of Clemson, 6'4", 321, over 11-inch hands. And I know I talk about hands and everything, but, uh, you know, 34 reps in the bench. This dude is just... Not going to move great in space. It shows every time he pulls. He's a little slow getting out of the gates, but overall, 
once he gets going, get the hell out of his way because he's not much is going to get by him, not much is going to get around him. I, I really like what he also brings to the table. Similar to Damian Lewis in a sense, just a little bit bigger, probably not as athletic and probably not as clean from a technical standpoint. Uh, he struggles a little bit with spin moves and things like that, but overall this is a guy I really like probably for that fourth round Um spot and if, if they can get him there i think it's a great value probably a guy that you could plug and play if needed year one owen so i'm gonna stick uh this might not be a surprise but with a wisconsin resident um ben bradison uh he's been a four-year starter in michigan he uh played at arrowhead high school as a four-star recruit uh, i know a lot of badger fans think that uh he didn't go to wisconsin because of gary anderson uh which i hate to come to the defense of gary anderson but uh, Bradison had a brother that played uh, Swam, I believe Swammer played baseball at Michigan, one of the two had a relative that played in athletics at Michigan went there <clears throat> and started for four years and uh, Russ and I had talked a little earlier in the day um, prior to the show that Michigan might have four offensive linemen drafted this year and almost all of them have started for three or four years and uh, just kind of how surprising it was that the offense struggled at times given that, that experience and talent up front uh, Bradison's a guy, he's not the, like the elite tester, um, but he's he's a guy, he blocks his dude. Uh, if you watch him against Iowa this year, I was watching, uh, trying to watch Cesar Ruiz, and Bradison is constantly finishing dudes around the pile to the ground, being nasty. Uh, good enough in pass pro. I talked to him about that down in Mobile. I uh, said under Josh Gaddis, pass protection was much more simple. Uh, but when Pat Hamilton was the offensive coordinator there at Michigan, uh, a lot of pro-style concepts, a lot of seven- and eight-man protections involving running backs and tight ends staying in, and max protect stuff with a lot of different rules, uh, a lot more uh, to digest and analyze as an offensive lineman. So I think he's a guy that's going to be ready to step in. I think he's a guy that probably gets picked in the mid-rounds, third, fourth round, and again, kind of like the Oddish, can step in day one and he's going to start for eight to ten years. I think he's rock solid. I think he's extremely slept on in this class, probably because there's just not a ton of to uh to complain about or to be overly you know it's not a super sexy pick but he's a dude that he's a big strong dude he moves people in the run game he's nasty and he's good enough in pass pro uh, and and he's only going to continue uh to get better in that area so um to me he's a guy i think someone we discussed this earlier someone like baltimore if they were to take him in the third round i think that's a match made in heaven there um don't know if he'll be a packers fit necessarily don't mean to jump ahead here but uh, does have some tackle experience as a freshman, which is the same thing we saw with Elton Jenkins. Uh, so someone to not completely rule out for the Packers, but someone I think that has really been uh, kind of gone through this process and probably hasn't been appreciated as much as he should be. There you have that. And yeah, he's somebody I think could step in uh, in 2021 and potentially be a replacement for Billy Turner and or Elton Jenkins at left guard if they decide to move him to center. But I really do think – I like that you brought him up. He's a good player. Uh, and I know that a lot of people think that I just like all the Michigan guys, and that's not necessarily true. But he's a team, he was a team captain as well, so that doesn't hurt uh, in terms of those things. You mentioned that he's nasty in the run game. In 20 – not this past year, but 2018, he was the team's best run blocker. Uh, and Karan Higdon ran for over 1,000 yards, and this is a team that didn't even really try to pretend that they were going to throw the ball all that much. So it really was a ground-and-pound – type team. So when teams know you're going to run it, they ran behind Bredesen. So I think that that's uh, a positive for him potentially moving into his phase uh, of playing into the NFL. And I, you know, you mentioned Baltimore and you can tell that you used to be a Ravens fan in your former life. Cause you really do have a, a pretty good knowledge of the players they seem to like. 
but that they've got the they've got the strongest identity and the best front office in the NFL. I mean, it's, it's yeah. Nothing, I, I do nothing but respect and admire everything that organization is. They, I mean, they. You can you can watch a player. You don't have to be a Ravens fan. You can watch a player and you can say that's a Baltimore Raven. It used to be that's a Pittsburgh Steeler. They're that type of team, those type of guys, good teams have strong identities. Um, so even if I, I don't uh, follow the Ravens nearly as much anymore, it's not hard to pick out a guy that they're going to like. Yeah, and that's one of those. They had the NFL, the all-decade team came out today, uh, and somebody asked if there was a general manager that would have made it from 2010 to present, and somebody said it, and I think they hit it. It was Ozzie Newsome, and you can tell the Ravens, there. there's a reason good teams stay good and bad teams stay bad, and typically it's, it is that identity of which you speak of, and it starts with that general manager. The reason the Packers were so good for so long is because Ted Thompson was so good at his job, and I know that a lot of people – for some reason don't seem to think that he was, but I mean, that Packers roster from 2009 until 2014, 2015, maybe even a little bit later than that was loaded. I mean, they were just really good at a lot of different positions. So uh, that's, that's the reason why. And Ozzie Newsome, I think is, is a great player or a, excuse me, a great general manager. Uh, and I'm sure that that's, he was a good player too. Uh, but that's something that'll continue here under Eric DaCosta because they just really haven't skipped a beat. And John Harbaugh, for my money's worth, is one of the best coaches in the NFL in the way that I think what you mentioned admiring, and this isn't a Raven show, so I apologize, but what I admire the most about John Harbaugh is that there's too many coaches, I think, in the NFL that get caught up on this is my scheme and this is what we do. Chip Kelly was a really good example of that. We joked about him before the show of he didn't really care what his players were good at. It's he was going to figure out how to fit that into what he does. And John Harbaugh doesn't do that. They went from a deep play action passing, turn the hip, let it rip with Joe Flacco to zone read, run heavy with Lamar Jackson to kind of growing into uh, Lamar Jackson's offense. He takes what I think that's what the best coaches do. They fit their scheme to the players and not the players to the scheme. So Moving on, before we get into too many people getting us in trouble for talking way too much about the Ravens, um, my last question on this specific topic, guys, is the Packers specifically, 0-100%, to 100%, and Owen, I'll start with you here, what is the percentage chance that they take someone that is an interior offensive lineman? By that, I mean either a strict interior player like the guys we've talked about or, as you mentioned, an offensive tackle that they kick inside in the first five rounds since the draft is really only five rounds long. I'd probably fight you on that, but um, I, I think it's pretty high. I think that uh, the Packers have typically been an organization that um, have invested in the offensive line, but typically more at, at the bookend spots. Uh, but I do think that this roster does continue to need it. Uh, you know, we talked about Lucas Patrick earlier. He's a guy that's stuck on this roster for a long time. I have no ill will towards Lucas Patrick, but a good team should probably be able to do better than Lucas Patrick. Uh, just like we talked about with Byron Bell, with Justin McRae, guys like that. Um, I think uh, that it, that the likelihood in the first five rounds is pretty high, uh, and I think it, it'll be a guy that um, that played tackle. I, I don't. I would probably say about ten percent chance that they draft a guy that is strictly an interior player, um, but I do think it's much higher. I'd probably say seventy-five percent that they they take a, a player and take an, an offensive lineman to play on the interior in this class in the top five rounds. And then Russ, uh, just to reiterate the question, yeah, either an interior player or a tackle that they move inside, but what is the 
percentage chance that the Packers take somebody that is destined to be an interior offensive lineman in the first five rounds? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think it's probably going to be an offensive tackle. Teams have these weird trends. You know, the Giants haven't drafted a linebacker in the first round since uh, Carl Banks. You've got the Lions. They haven't drafted a corner since Terry Fair in 1998 in the first round. Both teams could eventually change that this year with Jeff Okuda and Isaiah Simmons. But, you know, probably for the Packers, it's going to remain the same. I'd say probably about 80% they're going to draft an offensive lineman within those first five rounds. Um, just to throw two more names at people, Justin Haran out of Wake Forest would be a potential player that has that experience at offensive tackle. In fact, he's had 51 games um, at left tackle, so I could potentially see him being a player that moves inside, maybe has somewhat of a swing tackle responsibility. Um, but, you know, he was at the Senior Bowl. I thought he looked actually pretty good on the interior. Just I thought, I thought he was pretty consistent overall but he tested really poorly at the combine his three cone drill was like 8.4 seconds so i mean that's just something that if you know people want to talk about athletic ability and that's a concern to them then obviously that will be a red flag for you but i i think in that fourth fifth round a guy like him would would make a lot of sense so yeah i'll, I'll keep it at 80 percent. yeah and i'm right around that range as well i think that the Packers, I mentioned, you know, David Bakhtiari's contract is due up after this year. Corey Lindsay's contract is due up after this year. Billy Turner is somebody they can move on from. Rick Wagner essentially has a one-year deal. The only player I didn't mention was Elton Jenkins. That means four or five guys, possibly, that's unlikely, but it's possible they could be looking for four new starting offensive linemen in 2021. Now, like I said, I don't think that's likely, but it is possible. Because of that, I think the Packers are going to add some reinforcements along the offensive line, whether that's interior depth. Uh, and like you mentioned, I would next week when we talk tackles, spoiler alert, 100%. They're picking an offensive tackle at some point to play offensive tackles. So I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. Another name, Owen, you mentioned him probably two, three weeks back. And again, to go with the theme here, I suppose, John Runyon Jr. That's another one of those guys that you mentioned earlier, players that look like Ravens. If you follow the Packers closely enough, you could see players that look like Packers. And John Runyon is definitely somebody, in my opinion, that looks like a Packer. Uh, he's nasty like his dad. He played left tackle at Michigan for the last two years, uh, but definitely projects better as an inside player at guard. Played better uh, at guard when he was at Michigan, but became the left tackle essentially out of necessity. Michigan hasn't had a left tackle since the days of Taylor Lewan. Uh You mentioned Grant Newsom earlier, obviously, before the, before the injury, but that's where he stepped in. I think that's somebody that they could definitely look at. And I won't be surprised if a lot of the mock drafts and stuff, and you take those for what they're worth, but have him in the sixth, seventh round, I wouldn't be surprised if he was Green Bay's fourth round pick. He just seems like somebody that they will really like to do a lot of those things. He's versatile and he played on the blind side and that's what they really seem to value. So guys, I want to transition just one quick thing because today uh, we're recording this on Monday night and it was announced that the draft is going to be virtual uh, so very similar to how we're recording here. And something that I thought of that could be interesting is I, something I want to get your guys' takes on is just how that might affect some of these players and how this whole COVID-19 pandemic might affect some of the players in this draft. Something that happens all the time and things we don't really hear about too much are players with injury histories tend to drop more than maybe some people think that they should. And this year, without the benefit of having a their team doctors take a look at players example for somebody that comes to mind immediately is LaVisca Chenault out of Colorado somebody like that that's been injured or guys that got hurt at the combine 
uh, and couldn't really participate or got hurt before the combine and couldn't participate. There were no pro days. There are no medical checks. There are no formal meetings. It's very rare. I don't know how many official visits the Packers even ended up with, but I wouldn't be surprised if some teams ended up with zero because that's just the world that we live in currently. But the question I want to ask, and Russ, I'll start with you, is do you think it's possible that because of the way that the draft is this year, you think of last year, for example, as soon as Rashawn Gary was picked, the first thing that all of us probably said, project, not somebody who's going to be a big-time contributor in the first year, and that proved to be true over the course of his rookie season. Do you think players like that, players that are either projects or have some injury concerns might slip a little bit more because of the situation they're in and teams just can't get to know people a little bit more. So, so they have to rely more on things that they do know, such as what's on the tape and what they think is more of a quote unquote sure thing. Yeah, certainly. I think Chenault's a, a prime example. I'm glad that you mentioned him. It wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, he's got, I think, some first-round ability for sure, but I, I think just with some of the injury concerns uh, that kind of hurt some of the, the testing numbers overall from the combine, I think raised some red flags. Wouldn't surprise me at all if he was a second-round pick. And, I mean, if a guy like D.K. Metcalf goes all the way to 62, makes me kind of wonder exactly where Chenault's going to go. Obviously, it's a different class with different positions but um, or different value and, and depth at, at other positions. So, yeah, that's, that's a little concerning. But a player that instantly came into my mind, and maybe it's just simply because I'll be talking to him tomorrow on my draft show, but um, that's Marcus Bailey out of Purdue. I mean, I, I think it's not even just the first round. I think it's overall guys that, you know, didn't get a chance to have a pro day or have these private visits. I mean, Marcus Bailey is a prime example. He had two huge knee injuries at Purdue. It made it feel like he was there for seven or eight years. Um, and I mean, when you would, when you have a healthy Marcus Bailey, I mean, he's one of the biggest high effort guys in his game just from two years ago against Ohio state was one of the best performances of any player in this class. Um, just, off of that performance alone, but the knee injuries are a big concern. So I'm curious to talk to him and see exactly where, um, you know, where his evaluation is at, because, you know, where, what what are teams doing to make sure that they're, they're fully understanding who he is and how are they getting to see any type of workout that he might be doing right now um, compared to a few weeks back at the combines. So, yeah, I think it's certainly going to hurt certain guys. I think we could see maybe some, some talent slip into the, the UDFA uh, class and we could see, you know, a fun uh, couple days after the draft too, to, to see what players sign where. Yeah. And that was something I wanted to bring up with Owen, but first of all, Marcus Bailey, I like to formally know him as the Robbie Hummel of the Purdue football program because Robbie Hummel played at Purdue for what felt like 30 years on the basketball team. So it's interesting that you brought him up, but yeah, Owen, I know the Packers are a team that typically do pretty well in undrafted free agency. Their practice squad is typically filled with guys they brought in post-draft. Last year was no exception to that rule. And they had had an undrafted free agent make their roster every year for God knows how long. I don't have the exact year in front of me, but I know that they're one of those places that, and undrafted players have talked about that before, to where Green Bay is kind of a destination for them just because they know they have a chance to make that roster. So with that discussion that Russ just had, is this somewhere that the Packers could potentially clean up and get some really good players and add some depth to their bottom half of their roster with some of those undrafted players just because we're unsure of what the situation will be? Yeah, I think that's certainly a possibility. I think I, I heard, I believe it was Austin Gale on the Two for One Drafts podcast that Pro Football Focus does with Mike Renner, uh, talked about how he thinks that this situation may lead to uh, maybe general managers 
on the hot seat maybe being a bit more aggressive than normal because they always have the, the built-in excuse of if a player doesn't work out or doesn't pan out, well, how could we tell? You know, due to the due to the COVID stuff, due to the restrictions we have, we weren't able to do that. Um, so I do think it will be a really interesting case study because either teams could be more aggressive, knowing that they have this caveat, this um, way to hedge their bets. So, well, I didn't really know. Or if teams, like you said, and like we've seen in the past, typically are, are much more trepidatious around players with an injury history. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if that's the route that they go, I certainly do think there are guys that in undrafted free agency. Um, you know, that, that, that teams, especially as we talked about, someone like Baltimore, um, Pittsburgh in the past, San Francisco seems to do a very good job with these as well, uh, that, that finding these undrafted free agents uh, and finding some of those those hidden gems, I think that's something that the Packers do pretty well, uh, and I think that's something that they can continue to do. Um, you know, there's, there's guys like – I wasn't a huge fan of him at the Senior Bowl, and I think he'll probably get drafted, but someone like this – I think probably should be an undrafted free agent, but would be a quality one would be like someone like Terrence Steele, the tackle from Texas tech. Uh, someone along those lines, someone that, um, you know, maybe a, a Dallas Warmack from Oregon, uh, who's a guard uh, who I've seen. Uh, you see a lot of guys at this time of the year have big ranges, whether you see someone talk about them being as a third or fourth round pick to being an undrafted guy. Uh, I, I think there's a quite a big group of interior guys this year, given how, how talented this group is that there are guys that will fall through the cracks and be undrafted free agents that will no doubt, um, you know, make teams rosters. And I, I think that the Packers should be in a position to, uh, to be able to benefit from that uh, maybe more than in the past, like you said, depending on how teams uh, want to approach this kind of unprecedented situation. Fascinating times, things that we're not real sure of just because we've never seen anything like this before. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, the, the NFL draft this year is basically a fantasy football draft. So I guess the questions now are who's going to be the first one to click on the wrong player and pick the wrong guy. My money's on Ryan Pace, uh, assuming the Vikings at least get their pick in in time. So that remains to be seen, uh, but we are out of time for today's show. Next week we'll be talking about offensive tackles, which is definitely a position of need for the Packers. So I'll definitely want you guys tuning in for that to know. Uh, if I had to lay a bet right now, and it's April 6th as we record this, like I said, about two weeks before the draft, if I had to lay a bet on a position the Packers would pick, I would think at 30 it's going to be an offensive tackle. So it remains to be seen if that will be the case. I am here to watch the world burn because I very much enjoy people complaining when the Packers draft offensive linemen because, I don't know, it's one of like the three most important positions in football. And I'm not saying that because Owen can eat me. I really much believe that. Um, it's, it's pretty simple, guys. The 49ers got to the Super Bowl because they had the best offensive line and the best defensive line in football. Uh, that – makes a lot of sense to me and the Packers do not have that and they have some needs along that front but that's what we're going to be talking about next week is offensive tackles uh Russ Brown joining us as always uh, this week Russ if we want to find your work listen to what you're doing find some other stuff where can we find you smash the follow button on Twitter at Russ NFL draft uh find the cover one NFL draft podcast on Apple podcast Spreaker.com wherever you go about your business uh but you know to, to get the links to all the content written uh video, audio, whatever it is, at Russ NFL Draft on Twitter. And then we have Owen Reese. And, Owen, if we want to find you, where can we find you? Uh, on the Packer Report um, and also just kind of on Twitter uh, in general, at Reese Draft, R-I-E-S-E Draft. Uh, again, and to double on what Russ said, can't uh, stress enough how much, if you if you don't already visit cover1.net, make sure you do that. Russ is one of multiple very talented writers there. 
uh, Christian Page, Brad Kelly, Zach Hicks, Eric Turner, uh, among others, Greg Thompson. Uh, so make sure you guys are checking them out. Uh, a ton of, of great te- uh, great content there. Uh, I know Eric Turner was just on a film study with, with Jalen Johnson, the corner from Utah. Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff I find fascinating. Obviously, Russ talking about talking with Marcus Bailey. So make sure you're checking those guys out. Um, great content over there. Yeah, and I'll just yeah, I'll just third that while I'm at it. So uh, yeah, thank you guys. You can find me. I am on Twitter at Jacob Westendorf, and you can find me over at Packer Report. I have a uh, some prospect profiles. I've been doing some video and stuff like that, and some of that stuff will be coming out later this week. So I hope you guys are enjoying that. We're out of time. Follow the Pack a Day podcast at Pack a Day podcast. Uh, Listen in on the rest of this week as we'll be previewing the draft all the way up until the day of. So that should be exciting. Uh, Thank you guys for listening, and we will see you next week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.